Get out of here. Way back. He looks up. There's the cycle. You can't put it on the board. Yes. A single, double, triple, and home run in one game. He is hit for the cycle. <laughs> All right, welcome to Shy Sox Bar and Grill to our uh, third live taping of The Cycle. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is my co-host, Jim Flanagan. My name is Pat McGann. How you guys doing? Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. For those of you who have not heard The Cycle, let's just tell you a little bit about the podcast. We are uh, on iTunes, and we're also at MLB.com. It's uh, in partnership with the Chicago White Sox. And the podcast is a lot of fun. We've been doing it since SoxFest. Uh, we started in January. And we've had a lot of great guests. The uh, podcast is not exactly baseball heavy. It's not inside baseball. We've had a lot of people of interest. We have had Chicago White Sox players, past and present. We had Adam Eaton. We had Tim Raines, Jack McDowell. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, Hall of Famer. Psycho Steve Lyons. Steve Lyons, yeah, we had Steve Lyons. Uh, we had the, um, and then outside of baseball, we've had the lead singer of Google Dows, the uh, lead yeah. singer of Ario Speedwagon, Kevin Cronin. Just so many interesting people coming through the ballpark that we thought were um, interesting enough to sit down and talk to. So if you're not subscribing to the podcast, it's really simple. We'd love for you to do that. You could do that right now. You could do it after uh, today's taping if you enjoy it. You know, a lot of these. Uh, you're out. So that happens all the time on the podcast, apparently. Are we good? Are we, are we all off? Oh, there we go. We're back. All right. Back. Just messing with us back there? Is that what's going on? That's our sound guy? Good. <laughs> the moment we start to plug the podcast, I love everything goes away. They're just yeah, like, exactly. you turn that down. We'll wait for Fist to get here. Uh, but yeah, check it out. I mean, you can go to iTunes and download it and subscribe. You can go to MLB.com and find it. It's just called The Cycle. Do us a favor. If you enjoy yourselves today, give us a download and a listen. How's that sound? Yeah, All we have right. about 20 episodes, and they're really evergreen. You can enjoy them at any time. So we encourage you to check them out. We'd love that. And you can review us on there on iTunes. That helps us out, the standing of the podcast. So we're very excited about today's guest. Um, personally, I'm ecstatic because this guy was my favorite player growing up. I was a, uh, about seven years old in 1983, and I really fell in love with this guy. We have uh, Carlton Fisk. Going to be here shortly. Very excited. He'll be with us shortly. I love exactly how excited you are to have Carlton Fisk. I mean, can we talk about how much... You love Carlton Fisk. I mean, I was so. I mean, I wanted to come across when I'm talking to him, but I was so into this guy, and you know, it, 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 throughout my life. In, in 2000, my dad, who's here today, we went to Cooperstown for the induction. We were at uh, the 03. They had a 20-year reunion for the winning ugly team, and he was he was my guy. So, but I feel uh, like there's I, I see him here in the background, and, and as soon as he walks in, we want to get him up here because his time is precious. Absolutely. You know, as preparing for this. I will say this, I'll say this as, as I bring you up, but preparing for this, I went online, I, I got this book, I wrote a, or I read a biography on him, and uh, there's not a lot out there. He's a busy man, he's a family man, his time is important to him, which I can appreciate and respect. So this is a rare opportunity to spend some time with White Sox legend and Hall of Famer, Carlton Fisk. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Pat, this is uh, Jim Flanagan. And there we go. Holding up the socks hat. You didn't have to pay for that, did you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they that three way in? That's fantastic. All right, well, thank you, Carlton. Um, I got to figure out. I thought this was going to fit me, but it doesn't. Yeah. Struggling with that? Yeah, I am. Been a while since you put a hat on? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> there we go. All right, so, Carlton, thanks for joining us on The Cycle. This, um, this is a thrill for us. I mean, I was just telling these people what a fan I am of yours, and I was growing up. I mean, I was you, I was you for Halloween once. So <laughs> this is... It's pretty scary, this wasn't was like, it? This it was is, pretty scary. It was scary. You got tricked a lot, too, didn't you? It's like my daughter interviewing Cinderella, you know? <laughs> this is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun. But for those people who don't know... Um, just bring us up to speed. You are a New England guy. You're from New Hampshire. Yeah. Born in New Hampshire, correct? It's true. True. I, uh, I was born in Vermont because that was where the nearest hospital was. That's where the family <laughs> doctor was. So I was born there and uh, 
grew up in New Hampshire. And you Just grew up playing basketball more than baseball, right? Well, yes, because uh, our baseball season was 12 games long. And we played Tuesdays and Fridays after school down at the cow pasture. And, uh, you guys remember the cow pasture? Of course. We but, all grew up playing in know, cow pastures. This is true. So baseball wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a big deal at that time. But basketball was. For all the schools that were involved, we, it was a whole bunch of little towns that had their, you know, their little basketball floors, and, and the rivalries were unbelievable. Uh, since I've been gone, they've all consolidated into a regional school. But at the time, we had all kinds of nice rivalries, and basketball was the sport. You know, anytime I wasn't involved in seasonal activities, you know, in the fall it was soccer because we didn't have enough boys in school to play football. Yeah. And in the winter it was basketball, and the spring was baseball. When I say this guy played basketball, he was a member of a state championship team. Um, at one point, I think he scored about 40 points and grabbed 36 rebounds. No, that's wrong. That's wrong? <laughs> Was 44 points and 38 rebounds. <laughs> I said about 40. Well, you were approximately. Right <laughs> yeah, I, I went to the University of New Hampshire on a basketball scholarship, and uh, my high school coach called me the last of the great white leapers. Even though I wasn't very tall, I could. So you could dunk. You could put it down. Absolutely. It's six one. Yeah. So were you guys doing flashy dunks I, then? Uh, no, no reverse dunks. Just you know, as high as you can and, and throw it down and. In the game, they wouldn't. If you had a chance, you couldn't dunk it during the game. Oh yeah, I was that was say, the rules. High yeah. school rules. You couldn't dunk. So then, but we showed off, and I, I well, I tried to show off a little bit in warm-ups. Yeah. Well, lucky for us, um, you fell in love, or you found the game of baseball at some point, and and then you just went from there. You drafted by the Boston Red Sox and uh, had a great career in Boston. Who can forget? We can't talk to this guy without talking about game six home run, right? Which is one of my favorite scenes in Goodwill Hunting when they revisit <laughs> that. What did that mean to you when you saw that? That was surprising. Although I have met Matt Damon and he's just a, he's a Bostonian, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're all crazy Red Sox fans. But uh, um, that particular home run People think that's the only thing I ever did in my whole career. <laughs> you know? Not around here. Not yeah. around here. I only, no, hit, no. I only hit one, and that yeah. was it. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll acknowledge your time in Boston, but let's get to uh, the era that we all remember. And, um, you know, in 1981, you signed as a free agent with the Chicago White Sox. And after having such an identity with Boston, what was that like? Because looking back, it really is a defining moment for the franchise in terms of they brought in the new ownership, you know, Jerry and Eddie got the team, and it made the fans realize that they're serious about contending, they're serious about bringing talent here to Chicago, and they signed you in 1981. I think people were shocked. Well, I think they were, too. There were one, there were, I was shocked. Not that I signed here, but that the Red Sox let me go. Yeah. Uh, there was some really contentious uh, actions in Boston. You know, it turned out to be a legal action. Uh, I don't know if I want to get into all the specifics about it, but they were in breach of contract, and an arbitrator uh, sided with me in my situation, and I became an unrestricted free agent. Now, that's what, now, once I was a free agent, that's a surprising part of it, because uh, I thought that was the first time that collusion was, was present, in the, at least as far as uh, I was concerned, because uh, with the new ownership here in Chicago, the Reinsdorf and Einhorn were the only owners that were interested. And as a result, uh, I came, I signed here. But uh, them being new owners, they wanted to make a statement. And, you know, a couple years later, we really did make a statement. Right. You did. And you guys had a ton of talent. I know they had the strike shortened season, but you come back in 83. And that is, for many of us, just one of the most memorable years, other than maybe. One other year, but 1983 was, was a special. You've actually, you've referred to that as the most complete team you've ever played on. Can you expound upon that a little bit? It was probably uh, after, I don't know, we all kind of fell into or established our roles as players about the middle of May. It took us about a month or whoever was putting our lineups together. Um, 
And I batted second, believe it or not, after that. And it was probably the best team, number one to number 25, that I've ever played on from that time on. It was almost like we knew that we were going to score some runs. I mean, we scored more runs that year than, than anybody else in the league. And we scored over 800 runs. Um, and we had guys that were just spectacular on the mound. I mean, Lamar Hoyt, Cy Young Award winner. Right. And you've got Richard Lamar Dodson. Lamar Hoyt was a beast. And Lamar Richard. Hoyt, you guys remember Lamar Hoyt? He was kind of a, kind you know, of a bigger was. guy, too. And I read, a, you had a funny quote in this, in this book here. You, Lamar was not in the best of shape. And Lamar pitched a big, gutsy game. And uh, Carlton said, yeah, Lamar, Lamar's got a lot of stomach. I mean, guts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, as, that's how close you as were, right? it was back in the day, uh, they used to say, well, you don't run the ball over the plate. You throw it over the plate, so <laughs> I'm not running. <laughs> uh, you know, you do enough to be successful, and he did. Richard Dotson was 22-6 and six or something, and, and uh, Floyd Bannister, the second half of the year, was 11-1. So we had a lot of guys that contribute, a lot of guys, you know, Luzinski and, and uh, Pachorek and... Kittle and yeah. you know but a lot of the of success for the offense you can take but also the pitching you're handling that pitching staff what's it like handling a bunch of different personalities were there guys was there a guy in the staff that you had to like coddle was there a guy in the staff that you had to fire up and wake up a little bit like as a catcher how do you determine how to do that I wasn't much of a coddler to tell you the truth <laughs> uh, Neither I, was I when I was you for Halloween. I, I, real, that's right. I was like, put it in the bag. I'm going to the next house. Let's go. You know, I'm not, you know, there was a lot of pitchers hadn't experienced that kind of success before. And in order to keep it going, they had to be on top of their game. And a lot of times, uh, not all pitchers, but a lot of times when you're getting guys out, you just kind of coast along. And they had enough talent to, to coast a little bit. But in order to get the best out of them, I had to do more than, than coddle them. Uh, a guy like Britt Burns, who was, uh, you know, was a horse that year, too. You know, he was a guy that, you know, from Georgia, just easygoing guy, and you have to go out and kick his butt a little yeah. bit. But, uh, and a guy like Floyd Brand Bannister is just a smart, intelligent guy, and you can go out and just talk to him. But there's certain guys that, that uh, need to be at that, time, at that time, Britt Burns in the playoffs in game four, he gives up the home run to Tito Landrum in the 10th inning. He was at like 140 pitches. That just would never happen today. Did well, it cross your mind at all at that time? Like, were you guys thinking that way, or was the game just that different? The game's different. People approach it different. You have different players playing different roles at different times in the game. Um, Tony Russo would never have done that again or uh, even later on in his career. Uh, back then, though, it was Britt has pitched so well, it's his game. And that doesn't, that doesn't fly today. I thought if we had, uh, you know, been more, uh, more reasonable as far as that goes, you know, it could have been different. But to go nothing, nothing into the 10th or 11th, that's, that's pretty good pitching. Oh, he pitched phenomenally that day. That day. And, uh, you know, that team, as Jim said, you've, you're on the record saying that's not only like the most complete team, but I've heard you say, and other guys say, it was the best chemistry, the most fun that guys had during the year. Oh, we did. You know, it, it's always fun to win, but when you can have fun winning, then it's pretty special. Yeah. Is know, there a vivid that, memory from a, that year that maybe off the field or in the clubhouse that you could share with us that was like still stands out? Like, wow, that was, that was fun. I think just the way guys approach the game. You know, we had one game where we were, you know, playing the California Angels, and a guy was pitching that I caught in Boston, a guy named John Curtis, a left-hander. And we were down uh, four to one or something like that. And in the eighth inning, out of nowhere, Tony Russo calls Mark Hill, the booter boy, to come out of the bullpen, which was behind center field. And the Bartucci brothers were cooking out there, and the smoke's coming up over the, out over the thing, and I, it's almost like the booter comes out of the smoke. He comes yeah, right. on, you know, and he comes in. First pitch, he hits a double. They pinch run from him. He goes right back out to the, he goes right back out to the bullpen. But it's stuff like that, and then you know he drove in a run, and right then we knew we were going to win. So it's things just were good. We had 
you know, uh, just the full spectrum of personalities and and uh, and how the coaching staff too. I mean, you guys had Larusa, Jim Leland, kind of like guys that went on to have. You know, Dave Duncan was one of the best pitching coaches in baseball history, maybe. And you guys had uh, everyone was kind of just at the beginning. There were a lot of younger guys, a lot of guys that just everything kind of came together. Is that some, a season that you look back and think, like, what could have been? Because you had Hoyt that could have gone in game five had you won game four. And, I mean, we figured if we went to game five, we'd win. Um, how we lost those other two, we just, you know, it was bad luck, luck of the draw. But we always felt we were the best team that didn't win. You know, you see how Baltimore went on to, to – uh, Stymie Philadelphia with their most of their pitching staff, but uh, we always played Phil, uh, Baltimore well. It's just that you know those short series, you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's the thing about being in a best of five series, probably changing. So then, you know, at this time in your career, you started maybe doing some shorter contracts with the White Sox. In 1985, you had a monster of a year, and you were how old were you in '85? 37? 37. 37 years old. He hits 37 home runs and drives in 107 as a 37-year-old. <laughs> While playing the most demanding position in baseball. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing that people don't realize is you caught all 24 seasons. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had a chance to DH a few times, but I just couldn't get into the, couldn't get into the mental frame of mind to, to DH. I mean, I was so used to being part of the action and all of a sudden just to go swing and then go sit down and fall asleep or something that just didn't work for me I didn't I just didn't work uh, you know some guys can do that Frank Thomas could do that you know uh, David Ortiz can do that Don Baylor Edgar Martinez these guys could do that stuff but maybe it's because they knew these guys know that how do I put this generously or gently I should say Cattle. Some guys know that they can't play, <laughs> you know, or they're a liability when they get their glove on, you know. So when you come, that was gentle. You yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. Some guys suck. That's, that's it. As, you, as I said, I don't coddle people very well. But when you know your glove uh, has a lot of dust on it, you don't need to use it very often. So. Uh, knowing that they were never going to be used defensively and knowing that they were a liability defensively um, put them in the frame of mind so, so they only had one thing to do. I always felt that my value was behind the plate, not at the plate. And I always, when I was DH and I always wondered why I wasn't playing. When you were, uh, before this 85 season, this is before a lot of people were working out in the offseason and going crazy, but you took on a quite a training regimen that was very demanding. Um, can you talk about that at all and how seriously you took that? And, and why, why that approach? Is it because you're the New England kid and you had that? That's the way you're raised? That's how you were? Well, it's, you know, everybody calls it work ethic. You know, I felt as though I had to do that in order to compete. I mean, the older I got, the more youthful enthusiasm Trump's experience so I always felt as though that I had to try to keep up uh, with the youth that was really before strength and conditioning became uh, mandatory in, in you know in the organization so a lot of people thought I was crazy a lot of people thought I was I was uh, enjoyed it oh you're doing it because you're having a lot of fun no I'm doing it so I can catch you know yeah and by doing that I felt as strong as I have ever felt and I just felt like I could just squat for three days and not, not worry about it. But uh. You separate these guys, the guys that are Hall of Famers, the guys that are great, and there's natural ability, and then there's work ethic, and then there's the two that combine. I mean, you hear about Frank Thomas as a guy you mentioned, but he was in the cage with Walt all the time, and that's somebody that you were with all the time. Sure. Do you see that? Um, would you get frustrated when you saw guys that had a lot of natural ability and were just kind of like they take off right after the game? or? Well, you know, it's not taking off. It's you always respect the guys that approach the game and prepare. You know, the game is usually the fun part of the day. Uh, preparing is the work. That's when you work hard, and when you prepare, people, re your teammates respect you for what you do. You know. Uh, was there a player that you looked up to that you got, you picked some of that up from? Who was the guy that you looked up to? 
Well, I'll tell you, I played with Carl Yastrzemski for all those years in Boston, and there wasn't a guy who worked harder. Believe it or not, Yaz was just an average-sized guy. He's like 5'11", 185 pounds, you know. I thought he was going to be like 6'4", 230, stud, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was really disappointed when I went to spring training. Went, wow, <laughs> that's Yaz? You know, growing up in New Hampshire, a Triple Crown winner and all that, I thought he was, he was this big, and then all of a sudden he turned out to be that big. Yeah, know? right. <laughs> but was, to see him prepare, see him work every day and come out to play every day, uh, you know, showed his true professional side. And, and you can say that about, I don't know if you can say that about everybody that's good, but all your best players are the players that prepare the best. So Yeah. It's I nice to hear something nice being said about Carly Estremsky because <laughs> Hawk is so hard so on that anti. guy. Yeah, it really. Hawk's always talking about how terrible he was. <laughs> how come nobody talks about how terrible Hawk was? <laughs> huh? I was hoping uh, when you were saying you looked up to someone, I was kind of hoping you'd say Deion Sanders. Oh, Is that, don't get uh, me started <laughs> on that piece of shit. <laughs> no, hey, it's a podcast. Say it. You can say yeah. it. It's fine. Yeah. Piece of exactly right. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry my nieces are yeah, here. I should have said that. Okay. But it's a podcast. You can say that yeah. if you want. Go All ahead. Right, talk about Deion. No, I'm not. I won't. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I won't. One, I could never keep it clean. <laughs> and two, there's ladies in the crowd, and I. <laughs> but it's documented. It's out there. That's one of the things that is out it there. Is. So let me ask you this then, on it. So obviously, you, you know, you span generations. You started in 1969. You kind of saw the beginning of that new flamboyant generation in the early 90s. What do you think today of things like Bryce Harper and some of the things that are going on right now, as more of a traditionalist yourself? Some of the guys that do that stuff today would have broken arms back in the day. <laughs> um, not necessarily. Uh, a wrestling match either you know right. you know it's just really weird how how the game has dumbed down and softened to the point where nobody nobody's scared anymore mm. it's not a man's game anymore right it's uh, uh they're protecting the hitter inside you don't have to worry about a th pitch inside you don't have to worry about being scared you don't have to be worried about getting run over at the play you don't have to worry about getting taken out on a double play uh you know, just it, it's making it a. You know those things that they wear on their arms mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. You know what that used to be in the old days? Back, I shouldn't say old days. Maybe I should. <laughs> that would be a bullseye. Oh yeah. You know. It's you know anymore. It, like. It's it's. See, because back then, they if you get any hits, you're taking the bread off their table, and if they don't, and if you don't get any hits off him you can't go in and negotiate a contract right. I mean you don't have we had to negotiate a contract every year so everything you did was the same thing that guy you're facing is trying to do so if he could scare you you couldn't play you were an out you were out if he could scare you and they would too do you think there's any rivalries left in the game Not anymore much. like there used to be like with the when you were in Boston with the Yankees or with the White Sox late, late 80s early 90s you guys had a great uh, rivalry with the Oakland A's and you guys kind of owned Oakland but no one else could beat them <laughs> well you know it, it, the only time you can have a rivalry is if two teams are fairly well matched up and that two teams are fighting for the same you know for the same position the same place um, but with interleague play the whole game of baseball has become too familiar I sound like an old guy, but back in the day, if you fraternized, the league commissioner would fine you. There were there were little scouts in the stands that if you were spent too much time behind the cage when the other guy was hitting, then your name went on the list and you got a little note in the mail and you had to pay your fine. Uh, what about after a game? Could you ever go have dinner with somebody or go to a club with someone or never? No. You know the th funny part about that is that uh, we really didn't think we had any friends on the other team. You know, they wore the opposition uniform. They wore the enemy's uniform. So we didn't have any friends. But what's happening now, there's a lot of guys that are going from team to team. This is about to blow up. Yeah. This whole place we go going. to team to team, so faces become familiar in different uniforms. Um, 
interleague play. Now there's no mystery between the National League and the, no mystique between the National League and the American League. The All-Star Game is always that. The World Series is always uh, an indication of maybe who the best team was in each league. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case anymore. I think it's really softened uh, the competitiveness within the game. So how much do you watch today? I, I don't think I watch a lot okay. because you have to sit in front of the TV to watch. You know, <laughs> I do listen to the radio. I okay. listen to quite a bit on the radio. That way I can... How do you spend your something. time these days? What do you do? Well, I'm an ambassador here in Chicago. We love it. We're glad. And in Boston, I'm a legend. <laughs> I, well, I don't know if I am or not, but... They have a little, at the suite, they have a legend suite. Oh, yeah. So every home game, they have a former Boston player up there, sort of entertaining. And uh, so I do a little bit, a little gig with them. And uh, I do a little promotional work for the Hall of Fame. Do you go back to the Hall a lot? Absolutely. You go every year for the every induction? Every year. I wouldn't miss it. It's highlighted in my life. Every I was year. saying earlier, when you, before you walked in, my, my dad, who's here, we went to your induction in 2000. We went out there to watch you get get inducted and get your due and uh, it was such an accomplishment what does it mean uh, and I remember your parents were there your family was there you got to share that with all of them what did it mean to you when you got that call where were you I was at home but you never think you're gonna get that call you know you don't play for that reason you know you play I always played to try to be the best I always played to beat the guy I'm playing against you know however that's viewed or however that's translated all comes out at the end um, you know and there are people that are good there are players that are good but you know they have to have a body of work to be considered and that's where I think that I'm considered you know I uh, I played a lot I thought that I gave a lot and uh, by being uh, inducted uh, I, that's my reward yeah, um, sure. not everybody gets rewarded there are guys that have great careers that that aren't rewarded um, but as, as Mike Schmidt said one time, this isn't the Hall of Fame of pretty good players. It's true. You know, it's not a Hall of Fame for good players because there's a lot of good players. You know, it's the Hall of Fame for the elite. And of all the players that have ever played the game, you know, 1% of all the players that have ever played the game are you know, hardly considered for the Hall of Fame. So... I read this. This is interesting to me. There are 17 Hall of Famers from the New England area, from New England. One of them played after World War II. This guy. Crazy. And I think that's because of the climate and the, you know. The way yeah, we played a lot of games. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Yep. We used to practice, practice sliding on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I am the only American League catcher in the Hall of Fame since uh, Yogi That's passed. Right. So it's, uh, it's nice to be. Did you say that walking out of Yogi Berra's funeral? Uh, no. <laughs> Guess what I am now? Some, probably somebody else did, but I don't know. No, Yogi was a good guy. I like yeah. him. Absolutely. Girl, uh, when you retired, you, I, I mean, I, just the active leader in so many different categories for catchers. I mean, you did so much offensively and behind the plate. But I think one of the things that uh, you did that will never, ever be matched is you caught the most innings in a game. In 1984 for the White Sox, I don't know how many people remember the day that you caught, or the, the two days, that you caught a 25-inning game from start to finish against the Milwaukee Brewers. What was that incredible feat like? You know, you go in extra innings, it, that's... I shouldn't say it's not a big deal because it happens, you know. They play pretty well, you play pretty well, you come to the end of the game and you're tied, so you got to go extra innings. But when the extra innings goes on and on and on, then the funny part about it is in the 17th inning, Milwaukee scores three runs in the top of the 17th. So we just figured. Did you kind of want to just? <laughs> I was going to say, okay, let's go home. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> But in the bottom of the 17th, we scored three runs. <laughs> You're like, couldn't have been two And Randy Reddy's playing third base for Milwaukee, gets a ground ball, and throws it 25 rows into the stands. You go, wait a minute, just a routine ground ball? And he goes, and the ball goes way back, and we end up scoring three runs. And then we go on to win the next day, 
So Tom Seaver comes in and, play, and pitches five innings, I think, the next day. So he gets that win, and then he went on to pitch the second game, and he got that win. So he got two wins in one day. That's crazy. Yeah, he got the three, and he got in the 300 series that he got in uh, New York. He wins game 300, and that's also, I believe, the same series that you tagged out two guys. Everyone remembers that moment, tagging two guys out at the plate. Had you ever done that before at any level playing baseball? I mean, that's no, I, I never had. And it's usually when you, that happens, it's because somebody isn't paying attention. <laughs> and I was, and one of those guys was not. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those routine, it should have been just a routine double with an RBI for Ricky Henderson was the guy who was hitting. Oh, yeah? Who were the ball, guys you tagged out? Hits the ball into, into left center field. Perfect relay to Ozzy. Ozzy throws a perfect throw to me. And I don't know, Bobby Meacham and Dale Bearer were the guys. Okay. You know, and I don't know what Bobby Meacham was thinking about, but he went back to tag second base to tag up, and Dale Bearer's running right over the back of him. So now they're like this, running down like that. <laughs> and Gene Michaels is a third base coach, and I'm watching him because I was wondering who's he sending, who's he not sending. And I'm just going like, Look at this. What are those guys doing? Jeez. You know, and I know, and I got all this time. I'm going, now, am I going to tag him one at a time? Am I going to stack him up and, you know, or, in which I could have done, and I didn't know if I, who, what was going to happen. So I see Gene Michaels waving one with one hand and going like this. <laughs> see, they're, see, they're both messed up. He's trying to send one and hold the other. And they both ran right through the sign, and here they come. Right. And I get a throw from Ozzy, and I got time from here to that wall to figure out what I wanted to do, <laughs> and, uh, which doesn't happen very often at the plate. Right. Are you in touch with any of the guys that you played with in Chicago or any ex-teammates? Who are the guys you still talk to? Well, obviously all the guys here that I, you know, the coaching staff I played with or against all those guys. Yeah, that's true. Um, talk to Harold a lot. Harold was on our podcast. A lot of people said we had Harold Baines on the podcast. A lot of people were like, good luck. <laughs> he doesn't talk. <laughs> You know, he's, got he's a guy, Harold, one of the nicest guys you ever want to see, meet he in is, your yeah. life. And you wouldn't think he'd have an aggressive bone in his body to be able to, you know, grind out the hits that he got. But we're playing one day at Old Comiskey Park, and it's like 12 degrees playing, and it's one-to-one -one in the bottom of the ninth. And Harold hits a laser like that. It doesn't get 12 feet off the ground and goes over the left center field fence just like that. We win the game. Everybody, ah, so Harold's over in his locker. He's just sitting there, you know. And some guy comes up, some comes up, Harold, man, you must have hit that ball hard. And he goes, evidently. <laughs> That's the quote. That's Harold for you right there. Let's see. So we all... Uh, from that time on, I was going, Mr. Evidently. But, but that was so classic, evidently. Who were some of the crazier guys you played with that were just fun to be around? Uh, Ron Kittle, goofier than, can, uh, yeah. goofier than anybody. Oh, we've talked to him. And, yeah, well, you know Ron, <laughs> then. My sympathies. Um, <laughs> Tom Pachorek was a funny guy. Yeah, very funny. Um, you know who was as funny as anybody out there was Dennis Lamb. Dennis Lamb. Really? Dennis Lamb yeah. was a funny guy. But, you know, a lot of guys uh, are funny and are not able to sort of see them, I don't know, say make fun of yourself, but laugh at and with yourself because there's some goofy things that happen on that field that, that you better laugh at or you're, it's going to crush you. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I thought that uh, Pachorik and... and and Kittle, they kept us pretty loose. You, uh, uh, for us, a little special designation. We, I mean, we've had some great guests. It's obviously, such a pleasure to have you. This podcast is called The Cycle, and you're also the first player we've ever had who actually hit for The Cycle on the podcast. What is that like as a catcher? Is that something you ever thought you would accomplish? I never thought about it, to tell you the truth. Um, and you had some yeah, speed, yeah. right? You had, you had a triple, but you had some, you stole some bases in your career, too. Oh, you yeah. stole like a, over 100 bases, didn't you? Over 100. Did you know uh, who the only catcher was that led the league in triples? 
Carl Fisk. Yes, yeah, yeah, good, good guess. Good guess. <laughs> I have a feeling it's a surprise. Good guess. Every trivia question you ask, I'm just going to say <laughs> Carl okay. Fisk. Who was the oldest guy to get a hit in the All Star game ever? Carl Fisk. Good one, Attaway. Way to go. Good, good, good. It probably was one of the Cuban players that lies about his age, <laughs> but we'll never know. That's so. true. He was 58, but he said he was 37. Exactly. <laughs> I guess they keep track of that a little better now than they used to. All right, let's have some fun now. I'll just ask you some random questions, um, just for like getting to know you stuff. That's what we like to do. We don't like to get too much into baseball, which is, is, you're going to do with, with someone. Be careful who's... what you ask now. <laughs> you might get an answer that you don't like. All right, how about this? How about Commander or Pudge? I've been I've been pudged since I was a year old. All right, you know I was I never uh, missed a meal at that time. I was I was 36 inches and 36 pounds. Yeah, 36, 32 inches and 36 pounds in one year when I was a year old. You were 36 pounds in one year. Yeah. No kidding. Oh my God. You get shocks on your stroller. <laughs> Yeah, I get some new tires for this thing. No, I was a tire. They just rolled me down. <laughs> you played in two of the best baseball cities in Boston and Chicago. What were the differences between the two? I think that uh, you know, the Boston and Chicago were two of the charter members of Major League Baseball. Um, I think probably the biggest difference is that Boston has a, uh, how do you say it? A greater basket of of uh, work that you can look back on than does Chicago. Um, so I think that that's the big thing is that Boston has has uh, the history, the nostalgic history that uh, the White Sox don't have, other than through a couple players. So um, you know, I, I I think that that's that's what I would say, anyways. That that and people in Boston swore at me more than they did here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they did. We could change that. Yeah, right? we could. We could. <laughs> all the accolades you had in your career, all the recognition, Hall of Fame. Let's just separate that because that's in a world of its own. Um, Rookie of the Year, having your number retired by two franchises, uh, having a statue built in your honor and your likeness. What is something that, if you had to select one thing that even you, I know you're a humble guy, but even you'd be like, that is cool, that, that's something that is very special to me? Well, you know, it's all... First pitch is at 610. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, well, yeah, you might uh, wait till then. You know, I don't even know. I think that the fact that I grew up in New Hampshire and had played 12 games a year, and then next thing you blink your eyes and I'm standing on stage at the Hall of Fame, I'm going, wait a minute, Yeah. how did this happen? That's a long blink. How, man, how did that happen? I just don't know. <laughs> and as I look back, uh, the injuries that I had, I mean, I, you total them up in my career, I missed six years, wow. six playing years with injuries. And still caught, and when I retired, still had more home runs and still caught more games than, than anybody. So uh, the fact that I, you know, when I blinked, I had played 23 years in the big leagues. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the special Incredible. part of it all. All right, we're going to do something uh, fun here. We're gonna, we have a couple things to give away. We got two autographed baseballs by guess who? Harold Baines. Julio Cruz. <laughs> Julio Cruz. <laughs> we got two balls that you signed, and we have a jersey that you signed. And I love when you sign now, you write HOF. That's got to feel good. Do you do that like when you're, like, at credit card receipts? Do you write? <laughs> HOF. So, I usually reserve those for special times. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal, Carlton. There, we have a list of everyone that bought tickets to this event. Um, we're going to have you pick one, three numbers between 1 and 40. And we'll have Carlton hand them out. You want to hand me that? Three numbers? Oh, three, three separate numbers, not three. Three separate numbers. 
I think you got to pick 27, right? Absolutely. Yeah, 27? 27 is one. James Philpot Is James Philpot here? James Philpot, come James on up Philpott, here. James Philpot, come on up. We better get some ID. We better make sure this guy's not... Is that a Fisk jersey? Is that a Fisk jersey? Yeah, come on up. Yeah, there you go. Sweet. Sweet. All right, who's got the camera? And who's this, the M? Marist. Marist High School. That's where I went, dude. There we go. Marist High School and a Carlton Fist jersey. All right, perfect. You know, I talked to a guy who went to Marist High School today that you coached at Illinois State, Matt Gaynor. Oh, sure. Matt sure. Gaynor is a buddy of mine. Matt Gaynor was the MVP of uh, Illinois State team that Carlton coached. His son played on the team as well. Yeah, we went to the Missouri Valley Conference Championship out in Wichita, and Wichita always beats everybody. Yeah. And uh, Illinois State beat Wichita, and... Went, and when uh, went on to win the tournament, first time in Illinois State history, and Matt Gaynor was the MVP of the tournament. Uh, and your son was on the The thing was, too, the funny part about it was that the year before, I was I was the hitting coach, and my son was on the team, and the year before, Matt Gaynor hit 188. Yeah. And this year, up on the board, or this year, that year, up on the board uh, at the tournament. He hit 388 with 18 home runs. Wow. So when he was so, they introduced all the all tournament teams, and Matt Gaynor was the mo most valuable player. Before I could even, you know, shake Matt Gaynor's hand, his father jumps out of the stands, comes over and hugs me first. <laughs> and then he went, oh, oh, sure, Matt. Hell, good. Way to go, Matt. Way to go, Matt. So that, was, that was something special. So he told me a story. You may not remember this. His son, your son Casey, graduates. Matt has another year. He's a senior. He's struggling. Carlton's no longer on the staff. He calls Carlton Fisk and says, listen, I'm really struggling. Can you help me with my swing? Carlton says, I'll, sure, I'm going to jump on my motorcycle. I'll come down to Bloomington tomorrow. Meet me at the field at noon. And Matt says, sorry, coach. I got class. And you said... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you asked a future Hall of Famer to help you with your swing. <laughs> and he said, I get it. All right, I can skip that class. I'll see you in noon. All right, let's get another number, Carlton. One through All right, four. another number. Uh, my high school basketball number was 14. 14. 14. Cindy Keating. Is Cindy Keating here? Cindy, come on down. You just want to count this baseball. It's always like the saddest clap when other people win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like you're supposed to be happy for them, but you're like, it's not yeah, me. It's, like, you know? yeah. like, it's not me, but okay. Yeah, I have to be Congratulations, polite. Cindy. Cindy. All right. There you go. And this can go up to what number? 40. Oh. All right, the next one will be, yeah, we're going to give out this, this jersey. Look at this. I don't want to let this go. I feel like, <laughs> did you save a couple for the host spread? Are these, uh... Okay, here's a question. You got this jersey, and this is the one I probably see the most people walking around with your name on the back of it. But you wore four different uniforms with the White Sox. Put them in order, one through, one through four, that you like best. I think the first one I wore was the worst. First one? You did, that was the one with the collar. A lot of people don't like that oh, uniform. Yeah. It was the collar. <laughs> and Chiver, the think about V-neck, you know, the, the like this. Yeah. And you don't tuck it in. Although it fit our team pretty well because you had Lozinski and Lamar Hoyt <laughs> and Mark Hill and, and Ron Kittle and all these guys that look better with it. <laughs> untucked in if they ever yeah. had to tuck it in. Those were uh, made by Lane Bryant. Were they? <laughs> Those <laughs> Omar the tent maker, I think. <laughs> if that was yeah. rude, I'm sorry. That yeah. was funny. All right, go ahead. That was the worst. Um, I feel like the late uh, 80s one are kind of making a comeback, right? I like the, the, the gray one that had Chicago and script across right. the front. That's late 80s, right? 87, yeah, yeah, 88? Yeah. So that's two? That's... 
better. That's worse. That's, that's first okay, to worst. That's first. All right. No. What are we doing here? First one was worse. First, first one, was, one worse. was worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then the Chicago one would probably go um, first. Yeah, that's your favorite. Yeah, and probably, other than the color, present-day present day uniform. Present-day? I never, you know, I might be really weird, but this is a happy uniform. You know, red, yeah. white, and blue, and it was, yeah. it was happy. And the gray, black, and white isn't a happy uniform. Yeah. I mean, maybe it makes you more aggressive or whatever it was, but I never could get into that color. So, so I would have to say that's, uh, I don't even know, probably number two. Yeah. As an intimidating guy, though, as like a little bit of a commanding presence, I think you'd like the intimidating uniform. But you like to dress up. Uh, no, you sneak up on them like in that uniform. like the happy stuff? Bright colors. <laughs> no, you can sneak up on them in that uniform. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. They think you're coming after them nice and smooth because you're happy looking off, and then you choke them. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true sociopath. <laughs> and you sneak up on them. You get them. Choke them. <laughs> choke them out. All right, that's great. Well, let's give this jersey away. How about it, Carlton? Pick a number uh, between one and Between one and 40. Um, eight. Eight. Number eight. Why are people already saying, oh, like they know what number no, your they buddy, are? Uh, that was your buddy uh, Bo Jackson's number when he was here. It's Yogi Berra's number. And Yogi's, yeah. Isabel DiPolito. It's Isabel DiPolito here. Oh, wow. Isabel's in shock. Look at her over there. She's really her. excited. Isabel DiPolito, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Give it up for her. She just won. Good job, Isabel. Look at her. She's all decked out in fist stuff. Look at that shirt. I've never seen that shirt. Look at that. There will never be another. She's... You got two fist shirts on, and now we're about to hand you another fist Third shirt. One. I feel like you've got too many, young lady. There will never be another. Yeah, there'll be another shirt. <laughs> Good job, Isabel. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, that's wonderful. We made three people very happy and 82 miserable. That's, that's uh, the way it goes. What we like to do around here. Okay, we're gonna start. We're gonna work towards the end here. Some of these questions might seem a little out of context because we uh, we play a game with future guests where we ask questions. They have to guess what you answered. So we'll just go and see uh, what we can get out of this. All right. Um, what is your favorite movie? Comedy movie. Funniest movie that you'd watch over and over. Comedy movie. Yeah. I can't come up. I don't watch movies that often. But I'll tell you, my favorite, one of my favorite movies, by Mark Wahlberg's in it, called The Shooter. The Shooter? Okay. <laughs> All right. Intense like man, Carlton. All right. These are going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> you see The Fighter? You see I have seen The Fighter. The Fighter's good, too. And he also was uh, in uh, Survivor, Lone Survivor. Okay. Yep. All right. Go ahead, Next Jim. one. Uh, favorite food? Oh, man. I would have to say uh, steak. 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 Perfect. Right. Classic. Of course it is. Favorite Celtic? John Havlicek. John Havlicek. Pitcher you wish, you wish that you got to catch. What pitcher do you think wish you got to catch? Uh, Pedro Martinez. Pedro. Okay. Pedro. Favorite junk food? Cookies. Is that junk food? Cookies. Yeah, yeah that's junk food. Right. Oatmeal raisin. More specific. Uh, oatmeal raisin. Yes. Yeah, I knew I loved this guy. Oreos. Oreos. Sugar cookies. Ice cream. <laughs> oh, ice cream. Ice cream is one of my favorite cookies too. I, uh, I like this guy now. This one will seem tough. Larusa or Torberg. Personally, Torberg. Torberg? I thought he was the guy that understood what it took to catch more than anybody, any other manager that I played for. You know, even though uh, Dave Duncan was a pitching coach, he sort of uh, was a pitcher mentally, I think. Uh, but, you know, to take pride in what you're doing behind the plate, to do the job, uh, and to do it every day, 
Jeff Torberg understood what it took day to day, and that's why I appreciated him the most. Yeah. Yeah, he was tremendous. All right, I also want to give a shout-out to the old Comiskey Park because uh, I think we're on its grounds right now, where we are. Yes, we are. Hey, 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 hey. What is something that you will always remember about old Comiskey? The upper deck. The upper deck? I really like the upper deck part of a ballpark because it's just something, I mean, it's a badge of courage or a badge yeah. of honor or a badge of talent or whatever when you can go up or tank you know? and I think that that's what this new ballpark is missing something like that where yeah, you yeah. can actually see how far you hit the ball mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody on the scoreboard that's 392 feet right right yeah but if it hits that seat up there you know <laughs> no. it's yeah, yeah. as far is that Crush something that. you guys would talk about in the, like even like with teammates like yeah I hit that one like if someone got hit like in the front row would you kind of like yeah you hit it out but and then you know, Kittle hits one on the roof, or you hit one on the roof, or is that something you guys talk trash about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought that, you know, when they were thinking about building a new ballpark, it was going to be a brand new, old-fashioned ballpark with the upper deck and, uh, the, you know, everything's going to be expanded facility-wise. But uh, we were playing the, the Orioles, well, two, two stories here, playing the Orioles, and I hit a ball off uh, McGregor that – went over the left field wall and a guy stood up to catch it like this hit him right in the chest and fell back into the field and they gave me a double oh, and I went what <laughs> but now instant replay you could go and say hey that's a home run is that when the Russo came out and threw the base no, I don't think no. so no. no that was deflating and then yeah really <laughs> sure. but, then, but then question. later on I hit one on the roof so they couldn't bring that one back yeah, yeah. but talking about hit one on the roof Ron Kittle only played here for, what, four years, five years? Mm -hmm. Ron Kittle hit more balls on the roof than anybody that ever played in Old Comiskey Park wow. in the span of time that he was there. Yeah. And we're playing the Red Sox one day, and it's like 10 degrees out there, and nobody wanted to swing. I mean, it was so cold. It was like one-to-one -one and a few dribblers here and dribblers there, and I don't know how we scored a run or how they scored a run. We come up in the bottom of the ninth, and it, I'm telling you, it's so cold, you, you couldn't feel your fingers, and you couldn't feel your toes, and Ronnie hits one on the roof. <laughs> really? What? <laughs> like, how does that happen? And he had some injuries, too. Like, he, he was phenomenal. Oh. He, had a, he had a when tragic he, injury before he even was ready to play, year. Yeah, yeah. He broke his neck when, when in the, before he went to the minor leagues, even. So, before he started playing. But um, when he hit the ball... There's nobody hit the ball any harder or further than he did. Because, I mean, he had a classic power Is that a guy that you might like? Swing. Do you text? Do you text? Not with him. No? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a guy like you used to play with that you might shoot a text like, hey, let's go play some golf today. Or let's go, let's go have a beer and talk about I'm game. not very uh, techno-savvy, but I do. I have learned how to text. Yes, yeah. Second part of the question. Uh, no. <laughs> Nobody I know around here plays golf. So, uh, you know, I play golf with a few guys. but Jim and I do. Who plays golf? I have, I have a question. Who wants to play golf with Carlton? Pick a number between 1 and 40. You're going to play 18 holes with them tomorrow. I have a question. Yes. What pitcher gave up the most home runs on the roof? What pitcher gave up the most? The most home runs hit on the roof by one, given up by one pitcher. Someone who pitched here a while. Yeah, that's right? a career. That's a, I mean, it's for. It had when he, when he pitched here in Old Comiskey Park, what pitcher gave up the most home runs? Floyd Bannister. I'm going Hoyt. Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver? Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver. Wow. He's only been, he was only pitched here a year and a half. <laughs> and he made the Hall of Fame. I was going to say, Steve, you suck. How did you get in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> you suck, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Man, who was putting on the signs? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I caught his 300th win, so that's oh, all. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I read that the, the exclusive group of pitchers every year that gets together a Hall of Fame invited you to sit with them at their dinner. No, actually, at this table, my first year at this table was Don Sutton. Uh, I don't know if I can think of him now. 
Don Stutton, Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, Raleigh Fingers. And I came over there because I know all of them, except Sandy, I know all these guys. So I go over there, and I'm going to sit down at the table. And Bob Gibson looks up to me and goes, what the f*** are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a rookie. I almost, I almost my pants, I tell you what. A rookie Hall of Famer. Yeah, a rookie Hall of Famer. Yeah, we're all in the Hall of Fame. But, and he says, you know why? He says, just check the position that you play. I went, yeah, I, you guys wouldn't be nothing without me. <laughs> and he says, oh, I don't think so, because we don't even, didn't even need that guy sitting right there. Raleigh Fingers. We didn't need relievers back then. And he says, we hardly needed you. You know why? He says, you're the only player that sits in foul territory and faces the wrong way. <laughs> I went, okay, I can't argue with that. But I, he let me sit down after that. You're this also one. the only player, like not the only player, but it's a position where you have interaction. You got the umpire, you got the batter coming to play it every you know, few, few minutes. What are some funny exchanges or what's like, what were some, how many times were you ejected? Not very many. Three, I think. Three? And what's the buzzword? Is it is it a swear? Is it something like personal or is it? A lot of times it's what the, <laughs> the umpire did the night before <laughs> and how he feels that day. That happened to me in Cleveland one day. Yeah. <laughs> umpire had a bad night and also he had a hungover and having a bad day. And I argued with him once. He says, get out of here. I went, I'm, he says, I'm not putting up with that. Get out of here. Really? I went, what? What are you talking about? So, there, so I left. Were there any players that came to play that you knew, or maybe was there any exchange there? They come to play and you you give them crap? Or, no, no. You know, I didn't give people crap because I didn't want to get crap when I came to the plate. Yeah. You know, uh, that can start some really, really bad things when you start ragging on them, the opposition hitter when he came up. You know, you just basically say, you know, how's it going? Except George Brett used to come up to the plate and he'd always say. Hey, how's my favorite umpire doing today? And I went, don't listen to him. You should have heard what he said about you the other day. <laughs> so, but more often it's just cordial. How about going out to the mound, talking to a pitcher that's in a, in a tight spot? What's something that, what was like a go-to thing you'd say to settle him down? Well, one of the things you want a guy to know is basically how deep is he in this mud hole. You know, some guys are just oblivious. They don't have a clue what's going on. So you got to go out there and sort of stop the slide and then try to encourage him to go. So, you know, just sometimes you just go out and say, just uh, just throw the shit out of the ball. I don't care where it goes. Just yeah. throw the ball. Don't give me putting it up here. Don't be trying to get it over the plate. You know, I don't care if it goes over the plate. Just throw it. Yeah. And... Throw it all the way in the air, would you please? <laughs> I know we got to let you out of here, but one of my favorite moments, um, just as a young fan, I was at the game, your final season, where Bo Jackson rode the motorcycle out to present to you for your retirement. How cool of a moment was that from your teammates? That was just, I had no, I had no clue that that was going to happen. You know, as uh, a lot of people knew, I was in a pretty contentious relationship with our ownership. And to have that happen, uh, it was kind of unbelievable. It was a, sort of a fairy tale ending because, uh, you know, I basically knew it was over. But to have uh, delivered motorcycle right on the field, I'd never ridden a motorcycle before. Really? That's a horrible <laughs> you know? gift. And I said, but I'd always said, when I retire, I'm going to get a motorcycle. Oh, yeah? Oh, uh, but I didn't know how to ride it, so I'm glad I didn't have to ride it. I you still, <laughs> then, still have that bike? Absolutely, I do. How many miles you got on it? Not many. No? It's down in, it's down in Florida right now, and I, I don't have 5,000 miles on it. Yeah. All right. So it's still, it's still working. Uh, we got to uh, wrap up because there's a game across the street. Oh, so? <laughs> Is there anything that, that you want to share with them, like something that... A favorite story, uh, something that... Um... You know what you take away from the game is your sort of individual relationships with different people, and that makes uh, the game fun. 
and that's what's the, what's the big reward in playing. And as I look back, uh, that's basically what you look back on. You don't, you know, you play so many games, you don't remember all the games. You don't remember all your at bats. You remember highlights. You remember stories. You remember incidents, situations. Um, and a lot of times those situations happen with people that you like. Because there's a lot of people you play with you don't like. I mean, that you don't like. <laughs> but if they play the game and, and you respect how they approach the game and, and they work with the team concept, then you, you, know, you, don't have any, you don't have any bones to pick with anybody. But that, you know, along with the fact that when you have uh, competition between teams and between players, pitchers and catchers and runners and all that kind of stuff, that uh, when you best them, the crowd lets you know. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, something you miss, you know, all that positive, you know, positive, positive response. Because even when you mess up, there's not a lot of negative response. But uh, inside you feel worse than if somebody's calling your names. But, but uh, all the positive things that happen when, when something good happens, and it doesn't necessarily have to be me as a player. You know, when, when my pitchers do well, when he strikes out the guy with bases loaded or he wins the game or pitches a shutout, you know, the catcher doesn't get much, doesn't get, doesn't get much as the pitcher that gets it all. But deep inside, I, I feel as though I contributed to a lot of guys' successes, and that's basically what made, made my career worthwhile. What so. don't you miss? What don't I miss? Um, I don't miss the travel at all. You know, I, I didn't mind the work. I didn't mind, uh, no matter how hard it was or how long it was, I didn't mind that at all. But there's a lot of things that, that, uh, that you have to contend with throughout the course of the season. And that's what makes the game hard. You know, if you just had to play and everything was smooth every place else, the, the game would be really fun. Yeah. But uh, the game takes on a whole new personality when you have to deal with so many distractions. And it's that that basically spells the difference between how good players are or, how, you know, for, or for how long they're good. Is the players that are able to eliminate the most distractions for the longest period of time are always the best players. Yeah. So when you see a player that's like, focused in and if somebody wants an autograph or somebody wants you to wave or somebody wants you to acknowledge or you know all that if you come out of the weeds then you've leaked your energy someplace else so a lot of times guys are focused and you go oh that guy is he's just so stuck up he's just talking about no he's that's that's the zone he was in so uh, you know I kind of missed that too sure been able to get there because nothing has really consumed me like baseball did, and, and nothing that I've had since has had the same rewards that baseball gives you. So, uh, yeah. do you ever see yourself coming back in the capacity of a, a coach or something more than an ambassador? Maybe even doing some some broadcasting. No, that's you know, that's a good question. Only in that it refers to the same thing that you want to get away from. Travel is the schedule is the travel so if you uh, commit yourself to the broadcast or to the coaching you know when you commit yourself you're not just going to yeah. slough through it and go through the motions you're going to be involved be get immersed in it and then so hopefully uh, live through your job right. you know? and uh, but it's 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 not that easy to say oh yeah okay uh, why don't you just coach well I'd be in trouble if I was coaching. Yeah, but you have to deal with all these guys I'd that have to choke didn't work as hard as you. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, that's. All right. Well, listen. I want. I want to say this because I, I feel like I could not have picked a better guy to admire as a kid. Um, what a thrill to have you here. We appreciate your time. You know, a lot of people that experience success like you can lose themselves. I don't think you ever lost yourself. You seem like a very humbled and principled man. I know you're still married, 40 plus years. You're very much a family man. You got mm -hmm. ten grandchildren now. I just I wanna wish you all the best and, and I hope you're enjoying your retirement. I'm gonna read this. This is a have you read this book? No. 
Would you? No. <laughs> no. I know. The I only know, reason I bring I out the book myself. is because your family. My it, brother had a lot to do with that. Yes. And the guy who wrote it didn't come to me to write the book. So it's sort of an unauthorized autobiography. Right. So I haven't been. Uh, it's a great. I haven't it's, been it's too. tremendous. It's called Pudge. It just came out a year ago, I believe. It's great. I'm going to read this and we'll wrap on it. Um, he stands as a man who played the game of baseball as hard as possible for as long as possible, without regard for what opponents felt about him. Few baseball players ever worked as hard or were as dedicated to both the game and his team. The, mi the mission always came first. I think that says it well. He's a Hall of Famer. He's absolutely beloved here in Chicago. And uh, again, what a thrill to have you here. Ladies and gentlemen, Carlton Fisk. Is this water? Is this my water? It's water, yeah. Oh. All right, guys, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the game tonight. If you're going to the game, hope the Sox uh, win. And uh, again, we'd love to have you guys subscribe and listen to the podcast. Go to iTunes, go to MLB.com, download it, subscribe, review. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. Go Sox.